of Champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. Well, good morning. Yeah, are you guys ready to like go play ball or something? I mean, that's like, she fired up. Uh, we're glad you guys are here. This is a rowdy crowd already. It's like you had an extra hour of sleep or something last night, ready to go. And uh, we're glad you guys are here. Wanna welcome all of our friends who are joining us at one of our locations. We've got uh, 14 locations around the state, North Carolina, including online. Uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad you're here. I know I have some friends who are having a stay at MUSC Hospital this weekend, but they texted me yesterday and said, we're gonna be online, and so wherever you happen to be, wherever you might be watching from, uh, we're glad that you're here. One special guest that's joining us online this weekend is my mom, and it's her birthday this weekend, and so love you, mom. We're glad you're here. She's down in Florida with dad. Dad's preaching for Randy Bazette at Bayside Community Church, which is one of the churches that we planted down in Florida, and, um, but we're, we're glad that they're with us. Glad all of you are here in the room as well. We're kicking off a brand new series called Goat. Goat, we're gonna be looking at different ways to, to make goat cheese and goat's milk and you know, breeding habits and just kind of throw back to the Old Testament uh, farming culture and just see what we can learn. Actually, not. Some of you are like, oh, I brought a friend today. What, 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 why didn't I think this through? Uh, not, not that at all. In fact, uh, some of you know there's scripture about sheep and goats. We're not even talking about any of that. We're talking about an, an acronym uh, called GOAT that is a, a great debate in our culture, especially around the sports world. Uh, people like to, to debate who is the GOAT, and if you know what it stands for, say it with me. It means the greatest of all time. Greatest of all all time. We're going to do a series, and we're going to talk about greatness, because I think God wants greatness for you. I think God wants greatness for our church, and there's a lot to explore, but before we get into the message, I think since we're here, and since the series is called GOAT, let's go ahead and settle a few of these debates that are going on in our culture, and also to kind of get a feel for who's in the room and, and uh, who you're pulling for. And so this is probably the most popular debate when it comes to who is the GOAT. Is it LeBron or is it Jordan? And so who would say they're LeBron people? You'd say LeBron is the greatest of all time? Okay. One enthusiastic LeBron, but then some non-enthusiastic. Who would say it's Michael Jordan, greatest of all time? That's why I love you. I, I love this church. You're right, that's, it's Jordan. So you can tell your friends, you can settle that. In fact, did you see there was a video that came out this week? Jordan actually addressed this very topic. Take a look at it for just a second. A lot of talk going on these days about who is the greatest ever, about who has the titles, the raw talent, the most clutch moments. I get it. It's a tough call. I mean, even the jersey numbers are the same. But maybe the best way to settle this debate is to play it out head to head. I know, I thought they were gonna have a game, it was gonna be great, uh, but he was actually just promoting the football game that happens tonight between two others that are debated at times. Who would say it's Tom Brady, greatest of all time? Okay, 
I see some jerseys in the house, and uh, actually, I used to be a hater, but he goes to an ARC church up in the Boston area, so I like Tom. Uh, who would say it's Aaron Rodgers, greatest of all time? Okay, I see some Packers jerseys in the house. I know it, they're James Island campus, Joey Svensson, he's a big-time Packers fan. Who would say it's Peyton Manning, that we actually missed it? It's actually Peyton. I'm kind of with you guys, but okay. Drew Brees is pretty great. All right, he broke all the records. Let's keep moving. Ja Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholas, or Tiger Woods? How many of you are in the Jack camp of uh, Jack Nicholas, greatest golfer of all time? Any Tiger Woods votes in the house? Got a few Tiger Woods votes? Okay. I think Jack takes it. The older generation wins with that one. Uh, I wanted to throw something to the ladies um, because, you know, we can have this conversation about sports all day long, but. Several guys are like, I have no idea who is on that TV screen. This is greatest princess uh, of our day. You've got Meghan Markle and you've got Kate Middleton. How many of you would say it's Kate Middleton, greatest of the two? Any Meghan fans? Anybody for Meghan? Okay. Yeah, she's an American, uh, but you expect her to get a little bit better. Of course, Diana wins the, wins the prize for that. How about singers? I mean, we got, we got Beyonce and we got Whitney. Uh, anybody in the Whitney camp that would say, man, she's amazing? Come on. I will always love you. That was money for me in middle school. What about Beyonce? Anybody vote for Beyonce? A little bit more? Okay, good. I, th I think I'm with you guys. I think Whitney wins that one. This is important. Because I don't know in your home what it's been like this week, but there's a lot of trading that happens in our home around this time of year, and so it's important to know which one is the best. How many of you would say Reese's, greatest candy of all time? How about Snickers fans? Uh, how many are like me? You just give me one or the other, I'm gonna eat it, and I'm good, good to go. I mean, so I'm happy either way with that. Uh, how about our television shows? So we've got Downton Abbey, or This Is Us. How many of you would vote for Downton Abbey? You'd say that's, that's a great show, okay. You guys are from that part, or at least further away from here. Uh, this is us, how many of you guys say, yeah, that's great? A lot of you didn't vote on that one, it's because you're righteous and you don't watch TV, and I'm proud of you, that's fantastic. <clears throat> We're gonna skip that one, because I... Yeah. All right, so what about this one? We got Chick-fil-A or Chick-fil-A. There's no competition as far as that goes, right? And by the way, they're closed today, so you're welcome for that. You're, you're hungry, kind of creates a little craving for you. Here's what's fun about that, and it's fun to kind of debate greatness, but all of the things that we talked about on that screen uh, have achieved some level of greatness with the exception of cats. And so, uh, <laughs> but there's something inside, I know, we get letters every time. We actually don't mind them. We just don't want them in our home. Um, but, 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 but what's fun about debating that is that you know, we, we're inspired by greatness. We see something great or somebody who does something great and it kind of, it, it, it creates this desire, this inspiration that taps into something that's inside of all of us that has some desire for greatness. Would you agree that there's something inside of all of us that's drawn to that, drawn to greatness? A lot of us have had moments where we've felt or we've experienced greatness. Think about that. When's the last time you did something great? It could have been for a friend, you know, that needed some advice or needed you to show up and you just showed up and, and maybe you said something great or you gave some great advice or it could be in sports or it could be in your career, but we, we, we've got these moments where we experience greatness. But I believe that God has put greatness inside of all of us. I believe he wants his church to live in this 
greatness. And so we're doing this series called GOAT, and we're gonna discuss what does it look like to be great. And I mean, you guys get this. If you're, if you're married today, when you were young and you were in love and you were getting ready to go to the altar, you didn't have a desire to just have kind of an average marriage. You know, you wanted to have a great marriage. You wanted to be a, a great wife. You wanted to break all the stereotypes, right? Or those of you that have kids, if you can remember the first child that was born, I mean, I, I know I had no desire to just be a, an average dad, you know? Like, I'll make occasional events, but I'll miss most of his most important ones. You know, no, of course not. We wanna be great. We have desire for greatness. And then we live a little bit and maybe we get discouraged along the way and certainly we slip into moments of non-greatness. But I believe inside all of us, whether it's in your family or a career that you have or a dream that's in your heart, there's something inside of us that's drawn to that wants to be great. I love Genesis chapter 12. This is when God was calling Abraham who's, you know, Father Abraham, right? The founder kind of, of, our, of our faith. And, and when he called him, he said, I will make you into an average nation. No, right? What did he say? I'll make you great. I'm gonna make your name, I'm gonna make your family into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great and you will be a blessing. See, I believe God has wired us for greatness. He's put greatness inside of us, but there's a problem anytime we talk about this, isn't there? Because what does it mean to be great? We all live in this world and most of us that are here, a lot of you maybe on, online are from another country, but, but we're here in the United States and we live in a, a culture and a world that has definitions around this idea of what it means to be great and, and, and it's a moving target depending on who you talk to. I mean, you've got some people that elevate maybe wealth or uh, fame or prestige or whatever it might be, power, and say that's what it means to be great. Or even some of us, if we were just being honest and thinking about it, maybe we had a dad who set an expectation for greatness that we feel like we'll never even measure up to. But, but it's a moving target. What does it mean to be great? And at the same time that we live here, we also, the Bible says, we're citizens of a different world, that we're citizens of a different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and what's interesting about that is Jesus came and established this new way of living, and he wasn't silent about the topic of greatness. In fact, he was very clear, and, and he was very um, adamant about what it means to be greatness, and you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that the definition that he brought to greatness is a lot different than that one. Now, what's interesting is that if you spend your life trying to be great over here, uh, according to the world standards, there's a really good chance that you'll never accomplish greatness over here because it's, they're pretty different in terms of the intention and the motivation and the, the goals. But ironically, if you learn how to live and be great in the way that Jesus described it, usually you'll experience greatness in a lot of those areas too because there are principles, kingdom principles that are at work that transcend not just the church, but they transcend into our families, into the way we do business, into the way we, you know, in, in our communities, and the way that we do friendships, that if we learn how to be great here, we can be great in a lot of different areas of our lives. And so what I wanna do this weekend, first weekend of the series, is just redefine greatness a little bit. You know, we, we, we all have this inside of us, and, and what can we learn about greatness based on who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and how he defines greatness? And so. 
If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 10. There's a really interesting story that happens in Mark chapter 10 where they get onto this topic of greatness. And what happened prior to, just for context, is important. They were on the road to Jerusalem in Mark chapter 10. And they were on the road to Jerusalem so that Jesus could be turned over to the authorities and ultimately die. And right before the conversation that we're gonna pick up, Jesus actually sits down with his disciples. He doesn't sit down, he's walking, and he tells them, hey, this is what's getting ready to happen. We're getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and I'm gonna be turned over to the authorities there. I'm gonna be beaten within inches of my life. I'm gonna be mocked, be spat on, and ultimately, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. I'm going to, to die a horrific death. But what you need to know is that I'm gonna raise from the dead three days later, and it's, it's gonna be okay. And he's, he's preparing this, these disciples for this culmination of, of Jesus' life here on earth. And immediately after that is where we pick up the conversation that we're gonna have here today. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 and 45. So think about what just happened, and then, then this is what happens next. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that a bit of an odd next step in that conversation? Hey, while we're on the topic of you dying, can you be my genie in a bottle? You know, if I just ask you one thing, will you do for it? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied to him, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Such an odd conversation to be having right now. But, but what's underneath that? What's underneath that question? I think it speaks to what I've already said, but it's the first kind of thought on your outline sheet that I want us to just have the freedom to acknowledge is that we are hardwired for greatness. We are hardwired for greatness. What they were saying is Jesus, and I don't know if they knew exactly how this was gonna play out. I don't know if in their mind they still were thinking about David and Jesus kind of overthrowing the authorities and, and after he raised from the dead, establishing power in, in that kingdom, or if they knew that it was gonna be a, a different kind of a kingdom. But, but what they were saying is, Jesus, we wanna be great. We wanna be significant. We want our lives to matter. We wanna be held in, in a, a position or a place of, of greatness. And, and what's interesting is that Jesus did not rebuke them. Now, he redirected them. We're gonna see that here in a minute, but he didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them, hey, no, no, you shouldn't aspire to greatness because I believe that that's inside of us, that God put it inside of us because we were created in whose image? In God's image, right? All the way back to Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If you are in this room or you're joining us at one of our campuses today, you were created in the image of a great God. You've got greatness inside of you. Ephesians 2.10 says that you're a masterpiece, you're a workmanship, that God has put certain gifts and talents and abilities inside of you and, and that he wants you to cultivate those and that it's not a bad thing to desire to, to be significant or to be great in our world. And, and I know that there are probably some of us that are already a little bit uncomfortable with this conversation. Like we come to church to talk about God's greatness, right? And that's without question true. We do that in worship and we do that in our teaching. We maybe feel like a little uncomfortable though if we were talking about like me being great, there's greatness inside of me. What, what do you mean by that? It's almost as if we feel like God might be threatened by our talking about our greatness because it might you know, kind of threaten his greatness. 
Let me rest your fears. God's not threatened by you or your greatness. His greatness is on a whole nother level. But in fact, we are great because he's great. We have greatness inside of us because of what he did for us. And, and it doesn't mean that we're not gonna you know, have insecurities or wonder at times about our own abilities. I know I struggle with that all the time. I, I love the story of Gideon. If you remember that from the Old Testament, Gideon would describe himself as, you know, his, his tribe was the least of the 12 tribes of Israel and his clan was the least of the, the clans in that tribe and his family was the least and then he was the least and he was hiding out and he was afraid and he didn't see anything good inside of him. And God comes to him and what does he say to him? Gideon, mighty warrior, you're a man of valor. You're gonna be a leader. There's some things that are inside of you that you can't even see right now, but I'm gonna pull them out of you because I've created you for a purpose. And I believe God has the same thing in store for us. I don't think it honors God for inside of the church, for us to just kind of strive for mediocrity. You know, just to kind of go with the flow or to have an attitude that says, well, I guess whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. Let's just kind of trust God. Yeah, we trust God. But I believe what the world needs more than anything right now, especially in the culture and a lot of the issues that are going on, is a church that would understand that they are made in God's image, not to set themselves above or better, but to go, man, let's, let's pursue greatness, let's pursue destiny, let's pursue purpose, and let's make a difference in this world. You are wired for greatness. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, just so that everybody knows, and just tell them, hey, you've got greatness inside of you. Great. Now turn to the neighbor that you thought was less great than that one. <laughs> Tell him, hey, you're, you're great. You've got greatness. All right. Some of y'all are trying to get a date for after church, and um, <laughs> you're not that great. Uh, but but, but we, we were all des destined for this. I, I love my son, uh, Miles. He's 11 years old, and uh, this month he decided to run for class president at his school. And uh, he came home from school and told me that. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, why do you wanna do that? We had a conversation. And, and he had to fill out this form in order to uh, apply to be the class president. And on the form, one of the questions was, uh, why do you wanna do this? What, what's behind you running for this? And uh, I'll show you his, this was his first, his rough draft. I didn't actually let him turn this in because uh, I wanted to make some, some changes to it. But I loved it, what, what it showed about what's going on inside of him. He said, I wanna become head pastor of Seacoast Church. <clears throat> so I think that I could help this school as a leader. If I can't make a speech to my classmates, then what am I gonna say to 15 to 20,000 people? <laughs> okay. So, Miles, that's, that's wonderful, but we're gonna rewrite that a little bit and um, we're gonna work on some humility and maybe entitlement issues that might be there. But, but here's what I wanna tell you as his dad, what I loved about him is that he believed that he could do something great. He's, he's walking around with the confidence that God could use him in an incredible way. And, and I, just so that you don't think that I'm a terrible parent, I don't ever put that expectation on him. I don't know if it'll be in ministry in the church or if he's gonna use those gifts outside of the church. That's for him and God to figure out and we'll be a part of that process along the way. But man, I love that in the innocence of an 11-year-old boy that says, I think God could do great things through me. And I think all of us can resonate with that, but you know what, then we live life for a little while and we experience some disappointments, maybe some words that are spoken to the contrary of that. 
we get beat up a little bit and, and, and then we start to believe that maybe that stuff isn't true, that maybe God's not gonna do something great through me. Well, I believe the first thing that Jesus wants us to know in his kingdom is that he has hardwired you to be great. Let, let's go back to the story. Let's continue to learn. Second thought for us is that while we are all hard, hardwired for greatness, there is a high price to pay for greatness. There's a high price to pay for greatness. Look how Jesus responded to him. He says, you don't know what you're asking. You wanna sit at my right and my left? You wanna be great? You don't, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? In other words, did you hear what I just said about what's getting ready to happen to me? You wanna be with me in my glory. Are you ready to be with me in my suffering? Are you ready to walk through some of the hard things? Are you ready to pay the price that goes with that? They answered, yeah, we can. And actually, they were right. So Jesus says, well, yeah, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. But he immediately changes the conversation. They're asking about greatness and glory, and he turns the conversation to there's a price to pay for that. It's almost as if he's thinking ahead a couple of days and he's going, you know what? You wanna sit at my right and my left in glory? There's gonna be somebody on my right and on my left at Calvary. Nobody's applying for that position. It's gonna be a cross on my right and a cross on my left. And you gotta understand, guys, that if you wanna be with me there, that there is a high price to pay for that. And it was almost like he was preparing them because the reality is that 12, or 11 out of the 12 disciples would end up being persecuted and die terrible deaths. In fact, James, who asked that question 11 years later, would be stoned to death. And all he had to do to stop it from happening was to deny Jesus and to deny that he raised from the dead. And he wouldn't because he understood that, yeah, to be great is, is, is a noble virtue and a noble goal, but there's a price that has to be paid for that. And you know what? There's about a thousand or so churches around the world that are named after St. James. His name is great. We revere him as an incredible apostle who did so much to spread the gospel, not only in that area, but to Spain. And God did great things in his life, but, but he paid a great price for it. And if we wanna be great, I don't wanna be fatalistic about this at all, but we're gonna have to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea of suffering and of pain. And that not everybody's gonna think that what you are pursuing you know, to, to experience value or to experience not value, but, but greatness in your life, not everybody's gonna think that that's great. Not everybody's gonna agree with you on that. And there are gonna be times that, that, that we have to go through suffering. And, and the disciples weren't, foreign to that concept, but I'm afraid sometimes in our culture today, we've just kind of believed the lie that, man, if we follow Jesus, our life's gonna go great, and we're not gonna have to deal with loss, and we're not gonna have to deal with sickness, and we're not gonna have to deal with pain. The disciples would just be astonished at that idea. I mean, they, they lived in suffering all the time. You know, speaking of suffering, I've told you that our family's been kind of through a tough trial this month. It was about a month ago. My wife and I were getting on a plane coming home from a trip that we were on, and uh, as we boarded the plane, we were sitting separately. Uh, it had been a rough trip. I'm just kidding, that was actually just because we couldn't get seats together, but we were sitting separately, and she got a, um, she got a text, and she sent, me, sent it to me right as the plane was getting ready to take off. Hey, my mom is, 
is going to the hospital, to the ER, with chest pain. And this is her mom, Bobby. And you may not know Bobby Barr, but you've probably been prayed for by her because she is a prayer intercessor here in our church, 11.30 service every weekend. She's on the back wall praying. And, uh, and so she went to the ER. We got to our um, layover in Houston and got on the phone. Before we even got off the plane, we had been on the phone with the doctor that saw her and said, hey, we did a CT scan and we found a, a tumor in her chest that we're really concerned about. Uh, and so she was moved downtown and uh, they began to do tests and she was in the hospital for three or four days. And on Tuesday of that week, a doctor uh, sat down with us and the family and said, hey, I wanted to let you know that we've done the biopsy and pathology and uh, we don't know exactly what it is, but we know that it's cancerous and we know that we need to deal with it quickly. Uh, then the next day, 24 hours later, sat down with us again and said, hey, we don't think it's cancer now. We're not sure exactly what it is. And that's been the roller coaster ride that we've been on. Been PET scans and there's been biopsies and trying to figure out what is this and there's not really consensus and it might be, it might not be, but everybody agreed it needed to come out. And so on Monday of this week, uh, she went down to MUSC and had um, surgery. Um, and it's very similar to the open heart surgery, just a really difficult uh, surgery, sternotomy, but they opened her up and they took this tumor out and, um, and uh, the good news that I have to report is the surgeon called us on Thursday night and said, hey, uh, we've got it, we've done the pathology and there's no cancer, there's no chemo, there's no radiation, it's done. It's out and we're good to go. So yay God and thank you for your prayers because you guys have been amazing support to our family through that time. But, but I've learned a couple things about just suffering through that just as I've been, I've been observing and one of the interesting conversations that I have with my kids is I took them down on Tuesday night uh, to see her, and um, if you've known somebody who's been through the surgery or been, you, you yourself have been through it, you just know that it is a very, very difficult recovery. Um, and so they've moved into our home now and we're gonna kinda help her get back on her feet for the next couple of weeks or months. And so my kids came down to see her on Tuesday and when they had gone down to see her the last time she was in the hospital, she had a tumor inside of her but she had begun to feel a little bit better so they were able to get on the bed and hug her and pray for her and all that. Well this time they went down and she was just in really rough shape, they couldn't, hug her, they couldn't, you know, she couldn't barely talk, she couldn't barely breathe without pain. And so we, we prayed for her and I took the kids home and on the car ride home, you could tell they were just really quiet and they were really kind of upset by this, what they had seen. And, and one of my kids asked me, Dad, is, is Grandma Bobby gonna be okay? And I was like, oh, you, you, don't, you don't know. She's actually way better right now than she was last time you saw her. She looked better that time, but she had a tumor growing inside of her that ultimately could have cost her her life. Today, she's hurting really bad, but she's actually much healthier than she's ever been. And I say that to say some of you are walking through difficult times and you don't feel like things are okay and you feel like you're going through pain and, and maybe you've questioned, is God mad at me or am I going through this trial because of something I did wrong? And I just wanna encourage you that sometimes in the suffering, we may not feel better, but we may be much closer to healing and to breakthrough and to freedom than we ever thought that we were. And so, so don't be afraid of suffering. Don't feel like that's a, it's a the, the disciples were very comfortable with this topic and, and we don't love it, don't love to talk about it, but you know what? There's a price to be paid for greatness. Sometimes it comes in the form of suffering. Sometimes it comes in the form of just really hard work. Think about that surgeon that did that surgery. I'm sure he probably drives a pretty good car and lives in a nice house and it's easy to look at somebody and go, I wish I had what they have. But we have no idea the price that was paid to get to where that person is. I'm th I thank God for the price that he paid to have the knowledge and to be a steward of the, the gifts that God's given him and to use them to help us and to help others. You, know, you look at a marriage and go, man, I wish my marriage looked like that. 
You don't always know the high price that was paid and the challenges that marriages have walked through and the number of hours that they've spent counseling and talking and processing, working through hard things. You know, you see a successful business person, there's a high price to pay. In fact, Ma Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers and he said, for anybody to be great at anything, usually it's about 10,000 hours of practice. There's a high price to be paid for greatness. Let's, let's keep moving. Back to the story. Third thing that I think we can learn about greatness as we redefine it for us is that a misguided drive for greatness will damage relationships. A misguided drive for greatness will damage the relationships. Remember the, the disciples, their question was, can we be first and second, right? I wanna be one of us on your right, one of us on your left. The desire to be great is wonderful, but the way they applied it was misguided because in their mind, in order for them to be great, the other 10 had to be behind them. You know, they wanted to be first in line. And so what happened is in verse 41, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, right? They were ticked off. Now we got a fight on our hands. What are you talking about? You want to be first and second. I can imagine Peter getting up in one of their faces and going, dude, do you know what I've done for this guy? You know, like, what are you talking about? And this is what happens, though, when we pursue greatness over here. When our aim is we've got to elevate ourselves, we've got to make ourselves more significant, ourselves more prestigious or prominent, or whatever it is, and we get tunnel focused on that, and ultimately it's gonna cause division, it's gonna cause strife, we're gonna run over some people, and, and, and many of you have experienced this in your workplace, right? Where it's like we have this idea that, that God has a limited amount of greatness that he can give, a limited amount of promoting that he can do, and so we think if I don't get mine, then, 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 then I'm gonna miss it. Or if that person gets promoted, it means there's less for me. And it creates conflict, it creates division, and some of us are living in that right now. Uh, I'll give you a couple of thoughts here because some of you need to fill out your fill in the blanks, uh, but I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. But misguided greatness, the world's definition of greatness, it may be prestige, which is ultimately how do people look at me? What's my reputation? You build your character, God will build your reputation. It's misguided. Pride. You know, we get pleasure out of our own achievement or maybe it's power, this illusion of control. That if I'm gonna be great, I'm gonna have more control and more power and I'm gonna, and ultimately that actually narrows your influence when you have to control it all. But when you give control away, when you give responsibility away, you actually broaden your influence. Performance. You know, what we did, the problem with this is that I'm only as good as my last performance. I'm only as good as the last message. And if our identity and if our feeling of value and our greatness comes just out of what we've done, there's gonna come a day where, where we're gonna be insecure about that because we're gonna ultimately not be able to do. That's not God's kingdom is that we're great because of what we've done. Or maybe even position, which is what the disciples seem to be struggling with there, right? Which is, you know, I wanna be first. And the problem with that is that if we get jostling for position, then ultimately we're gonna run over and devalue the other people that are around us. See, a misguided drive for greatness, it's going to, it's gonna devalue people, it's gonna harm your relationships, it's gonna create some strife and some division. I know with my kids, man, it's so frustrating sometimes. I got enough love for all of them. But like you tell one child, man, you did a great job with this, and the other ones are like, what about me? I'm like, you know what, you're great too, but I'm not talking about you right now. That, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but, but we're all like that to some degree. You know, we're like, man, if, if there's a limited amount of greatness, give me some. And, and God's kingdom is so much different than that. And really, this is ultimately the main point of today's message and really of our series. 
and it's how Jesus defined greatness. True greatness will always elevate the people around you. True greatness will always elevate the people around you. Look, look what happens. So now the disciples are mad at each other. Now there's a fight. And Jesus says, all right, let's, let's, let's bring this thing back in. Calls them all together. And here's what he says to him. He says, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you see how it's done in this world. You see how it's done in, 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 in kind of the, the kingdom or the world that we live in. And he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You wanna be great? I'm gonna have a conversation about the greatest of all time. Then we've got to get our definition right. And Jesus said, you know what? If you wanna be great, then it's gonna start with you elevating the people around you, serving the people around you, adding value to the people around you. And by the way, I'm not just telling you to do something that's a good principle. He says, even the son of man. Think about that for a minute. God had no need to come to planet Earth to prove anything. He's creator God of the universe. His greatness cannot be added to by what we think about him. He came down, son of man, didn't come to be served, didn't come to be praised, to get the accolades, to be told, you're great, Jesus. No, I came here to serve you. I came here to give my life as a ransom for many, for others, for you, and for me. See, Jesus channeled all of that greatness, all of that power, and he, and he, he channeled it for us so that we could be saved, so that we could be free, so that we could find purpose. He didn't have to, he's great. He's got all the glory, all the power, all the honor. He's the beginning, he's the end. He, he, our God is so big and so much greater, but he chose to come and he chose to serve and he chose to leverage that for us. Friends, you are hardwired for greatness. There is greatness inside of every one of you. But you know what, it was never intended to be used for us. It was intended to be used for others, to serve others, to elevate others. And like I said earlier, the irony of all of that is that we learn to do that. We learn to serve, let's say in our marriage, and we just learn that every day Man, my job is to elevate her. My job is to find ways to serve her day after day after day. It's not always gonna be fun, but you're gonna learn what it's like to have a great marriage. You know, in your workplace, if you show up to work on Monday morning this week and your primary thought is how can I add value to other people? How can I make other people win? You're gonna find significance and you're gonna find greatness in your workplace, and the irony is that you'll be great there too. Everybody wants that person around, right? I mean, everybody wants that person to be a part of their team. I, I'll, I'll work for that person every day, someone who 
comes in thinking and leveraging their resources to make me successful. I love Billy Hornsby, who was one of our pastors. He died about six years ago. We talk about him a lot because we think a lot of him. And he co-founded the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which is a church planning uh, network that, that we're a part of and all of our giving, about 2% of what we give every year goes to planting churches. Billy helped to start that. And, and Billy has seen lots of great things happen around him, but Billy's never led a church. He's been a part of churches, but he's never led a great church. And, and what Billy would say, and I always remember this, he said, you know what, Josh? My fruit, it grows on other people's trees, and it's a good way to live. See, I don't build churches, but I build the leaders of churches. I tell them that, 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 that to, to keep going, I encourage them, I tell them not to give up. And man, when I look at what God is doing all around the world, I find my value and my fruit on everybody else's successes. It's a good way to live. It's a good way to live. So we can apply this in our marriages, we can apply it in our workplaces, we can apply it in our friendships, and you guys are smart enough to connect those dots. But here's my, my ask of you today. Let's apply it here. Let's apply it in the church. Let's be great here. See, you may be here, and maybe you've been coming for a while and checking it out, and you know, we're so glad that you're here, but at the end of the day, a church is a family. A church is a community of believers who's on mission to make a difference, a kingdom difference in this world. And we're pursuing that. We're building a building here in Mount Pleasant. We're seeing in our campuses, we're seeing people come to know Jesus. But let's be great here. Let's serve here. I was coming into church the other day and there was a mom, a young mom of twin boys that was leaving. She was walking out and church was just getting started. And so I, I stopped her and I said, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? I've known her for a while. And she said, well, I don't wanna impose, but you know, uh, Kids Coast just seemed a little overwhelmed. There weren't very many you know, um, people serving back there, and I've got two, and I felt bad, I didn't wanna leave them, and so we'll just watch, watch it online. And I was like, you know what? Actually, ironically, we bumped into each other because I'm actually serving in Kids Coast tonight, so let me take your boys. That was actually not true. It was true. Uh, I hadn't been planning on doing that, but I felt like God gave me a new appointment that, that moment. <laughs> And so I said, let's go, I'll, I'll, I'll go in there, I'll, I'll go help, we'll, we'll make this happen. And so uh, she was like, well, my kids are tired and they're you know, a little grumpy, and I said, I am a baby whisperer, okay? I've got this, just give me your kids, lady, and, and go into church. <laughs> and so, so she finally relented and, and I went down into room six and uh, there were about 20 you know, little ones in there, about one years old, and it was so much fun. I'm telling you, especially with the month that we've had, it was just a, it's so refreshing to get in there and to spend some time with these little crumb crunchers. And especially as guys, I'm telling you, all you gotta do is go in there and get on the ground with them. And then they're just gonna throw a ball back and forth. And all of a sudden, I mean, we just had a great, great time. And I was thinking about that story because in the room were two women uh, that were serving those kids, changing diapers, doing snack, helping to kind of it's like um, whack-a-mole, you know, one starts crying, they grab them and get them going, and another one goes, and they're just kind of doing their thing, and it's amazing. And I thought, you know what, those kids are never gonna know the names of these women who selflessly serve them every single week, but their life's gonna be impacted because of it. You know, their parents probably will never meet or know the names of these people who are serving week in and week out so that they can come and experience God's power and God's presence 
But you know what? They're great. They're great because they get it, because they're doing what Jesus said. They're elevating and serving others. And whether that's passing out a worship guide, whether that's helping somebody in the crazy parking lot because pastor preached a little too long this morning, whether that's sitting in a campus and seeing on screen a sermon be preached, and you're never gonna know the name of the gentleman sitting behind that camera, but he's great because he's serving. I wanna encourage you to be great here, and I wanna gently do it. I don't want you to do it because you feel guilty. But you know, we have about 1,700 people every weekend that serve at Seacoast, which is amazing, but it represents about 15 to 16% of the people who attend here. And so in a lot of ways, we're a lot like a football team. There's 11 people desperately in need of rest, being cheered on by thousands of people desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> and, and, and I would just say, let's, let's not let that be a, the case here. You know, what a great weekend. You got an extra hour. What if you just decided to give that hour some purpose and say, you know what, I wanna serve. I'm gonna elevate other people in the church. I'm gonna bless people. I'm gonna use the gifts that I've got to serve others. And here's what I'll promise you is gonna happen, is you're gonna be blessed by it. You're gonna be stretched by it, and you're gonna be refreshed by it, and you're gonna taste a little bit of what it feels like to be great, to have that moment of greatness where you add value to others. God has put greatness inside of each of us. Let's use it for the people around us. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you modeled this, that you came not to lord it over us, but to serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. God, I pray that even this weekend that there would be some who are here that have never really grasped that. Lord, that would be able to, to receive the free gift of salvation that you offered by going willingly to the cross, paying for our sin, our shame, and overcoming death so that we can overcome the things that would, would challenge us in our lives. We thank you for that, God. We bless you for that. Now, I just pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, stir up the gifts in this room, that we would recognize that whatever the position that you've given us, whether it's as a dad, a husband, a mom, a teacher, politician, whatever it might be, that the, the purpose of those gifts are to bless the people around us and that you would begin a movement just a wave of, of blessing and of serving, of caring for the needs of others that would have a ripple effect that would last for eternity. Lord, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.